Alma 46, verse 15 says that believers were called Christians in 73 B.C., which is before Christ was even born. Yet in Acts chapter 11, verse 26, it is stated there that believers were first called Christians in Antioch, and that was years after Pentecost. So they probably have some time after 35 A.D. when Christians are first called, when believers are first called Christians, yeah, here you have 100 years earlier supposedly being called Christians, okay? Um, Helaman 12, verses 25 and 26, supposedly written in 6 B.C., quotes from John chapter 5, verse 29, as a prior written source, even though John's Gospel was not written until about 85 to 98 days. You see, this, this, this little pastor, Solomon Spaulding, who's writing these novels, didn't have a big, you know, solid theological education, wasn't quite sure of the datings of the books and that type of thing, so he had a lot of errors like that that he made. Um, but, uh, so, you know, here to quote John 5.29, as written scripture, but when they're quoting it, it's almost a hundred years before it was actually written as scripture. Okay? I mean, you can't... That, that would be like uh, Isaiah the prophet quoting from the Gospel of John. You know, that's ludicrous. Isaiah the prophet lived hundreds of years before the Apostle John. Okay, um, the Nephites, number seven, the Nephites were supposedly in possession of Mormon scriptures in 600 B.C. However, numerous passages in the Book of Mormon quote from or allude to passages or events which are recorded in exilic uh, times, when, when the, basically when the Jews were in exile from 600 to 530 B.C. and in post-exilic after they came out of, after King Cyrus allowed the Jews to return to the Holy Land after 530 B.C. Um, so, it's supposedly, it's the, this portion of the scriptures, of Mormon scriptures in 600 B.C., yet, they're quoting from or alluding to passages, some passages that were written after 530 B.C., passages from the Old Testament. Okay? So again, you know, it's impossible to quote from writings that were yet to be written for hundreds of years. But that's exactly what you find in the Book of Mormon if we take it seriously. Okay? There's also, point number eight, there's over 400 paraphrases or word-for-word quotes from the New Testament found in the Book of Mormon. Okay? The author of the Book of Mormon often quotes these passages in King James English. So the author of the Book of Mormon is quoting from the King James Version of the Bible, which didn't come into existence until 1611 A.D. Okay? Now, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. There's no reason that some guy in ancient times would quote that passage in King James English since King James English was yet to be in existence, okay? And now, now granted, it's supposed to have been written in Egypt, in Egyptian, 
But why is the translation coming out of King James English? You know, it shows us that the author of the Book of Mormon was was quoting directly, had an open a King James Bible open, or his members that he had memorized verses from the King James Bible. So it shows the Book of Mormon had to be written after 1611 when the King James Version was translated. And number nine, uh, the Book of Abraham, a portion of the Pearl of Great Price, has recently been proven to be a fraud by Egyptologists. They found that not a single word of Joseph Smith's translation even resembled the actual contents of the document. In fact, I believe this was the document that they found to be uh, just a business transaction. And Joseph Smith getting his, you know, slowly uh, sacred writings on uh, the Book of Abraham from it. Okay, let's take a, a ten minute break and then we'll start to look at uh, refuting uh, the Mormon theology, the Mormon heretical doctrine that we spoke about uh, just a little earlier. Okay, uh, we're continuing our discussion on Mormonism. Uh, the Mormons uh, deny the doctrine of the Trinity. They teach that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are three separate gods. Uh, let me read from a Mormon book called Mormon Doctrine, published by Bullcraft Mormon Publishing House, by Bruce McConkie, a high-ranking Mormon, though he's not one of their Latter-day Prophets. On page 576, he states about the plurality of gods. He says, three separate personages Father, Son, and Holy Ghost comprise the Godhead. As each of these persons is a God, it is evident from this standpoint alone that a plurality of gods exists. To us, speaking in a proper finite sense, these three are the only gods we worship. But in addition, there is an infinite number of holy personages drawn from worlds without number have passed on to exaltation and are thus gods. So he says that the Mormons deny the doctrine of the Trinity. The doctrine of the Trinity teaches that there is only one God, but this one God exists throughout all eternity as three equal persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's what the Christian Church has taught uh, for centuries, biblically based, uh, the Bible teaches there's only one God, the Father is called God, the Son is called God, the Holy Spirit is called God. Then in John chapters 14, 15, and 16, they refer to over and over again as three separate persons. So there's only one God, but this one God exists for all eternity as three equal persons, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Mormons deny that by teaching that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are three separate gods. Okay? And then they say that there's an infinite number of other gods and Mormon males can become gods someday, so they reject even the, the uh, only one God aspect of the Trinity as well. Now let me point this out. You can find numerous passages in the Book of Mormon to substantiate this. Um, Alma 11 verse 24 teaches the doctrine of the Trinity. Uh, and 2 Nephi 31 verse 21 teaches the doctrine uh, of the Trinity in the Book of Mormon. So even in Mormon 
even the Book of Mormon disagrees with the Mormon denial of the Trinity. Uh, yet, uh, Mormons deny the Trinity, so it really doesn't make much sense. But Second Nephi, chapter thirty-one. I'll just read one of the passages for you. They have done that, but they've left these passages virtually untouched. Um, this is a 1981 copyright. So, uh, listen to what, what this says, Second Nephi 31 verse 21 and this is the last half of that verse this is the doctrine of Christ and the only and true doctrine of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost which is one God without end Amen so they mention the three persons of the Trinity and they say that the three persons of the Trinity are the one God so granted the the terminology could be a little bit more theologically precise, but the fact of the matter is there are numerous places, I think there's at least four or five different places in the Book of Mormon. I mentioned, we read from 2 Nephi 31 verse 21, I mentioned Alma chapter 11 verse 44. Uh, there's just two passages right there in the Book of Mormon that teach the doctrine of the Trinity, which the Mormons deny. Um, but as you come to the scriptures, you see very clearly that the scriptures teach that there is only one God. Isaiah 44 and verse 6. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. So you're talking about more than one person there. Still, God says this, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. Okay? So it's really clear. Now, the, uh, when Mormons, whenever Mormons read that the, in the scriptures that there's only one God, they say, well, that, yeah, one God of this planet. You say, no, no, it just says one God, period. You say, no, no, but it just means one God of this planet. So the best verse to take them to is Isaiah 43, 10. Okay. You are my witnesses, says the Lord. Isaiah 43, 10. You are my witnesses, says the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed, nor shall there be after me. So God is saying, if I alone am God, and there was no God formed before me, nor will there be any God formed after me. Okay, uh, the way I put it, you know, two things we need to learn in life. Number one, there is a God, and number two, you're not Him. Okay? This passage says, if you are not now God, you never will be God. You're either God through all eternity, or you're not going to become Him. But Isaiah 43.10 leaves no room for Mormon males becoming God someday, nor does it leave any room for, for gods who became God uh, God who became God before Jesus became God. Okay? Scriptures teach Jesus always existed as God, the second person of the Trinity. 
and that the three-person God has existed throughout all eternity, and there, there is no other God. Uh, now, some of the other passages here, uh, we spent more time on this when we dealt with Jehovah's Witnesses, so I don't want to go too in-depth, but First Thessalonians chapter 1 tells us that the Father is God. Okay? Galatians 1.1 as well tells us that the Father is God. Titus 2.13 tells us that the Son is God. Jesus is called our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, Randall Sharp of New Testament Greek uh, demand that both God and Savior refer to Jesus in that passage. So the Father is called God, the Son is called God. John 1.1 1, 1, properly translated, Jesus is called God. Okay? Acts chapter 5, verses 3 and 4, the Holy Spirit is called God. Then when we look at Matthew 3, 16 to 17, Jesus is baptized. He comes out of the water, and that's one person. The Holy Spirit comes down on him like a dove, the second person, and a voice from heaven says, This is my beloved Son, whom I am well pleased. Three persons. Now, some people teach, well, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are just three different names for the one God, for the one person. That's not the case. Here you have all three on the scene at the same time. Um, but what's even more clear is John chapters 14 through 16. Uh, I'm just going to look at a couple passages there to show that they are. The Mormons are right. They are three separate persons. What they're wrong on is that, that the Mormons make them, that these three persons, three separate gods. Uh, the Bible teaches that these three separate persons are one God. That goes beyond human understanding, but the scriptures are clear in that that, that is what is taught. John 14, verse 16, said, I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. And then this other helper is called the Spirit of Truth, in verse 17, even the Spirit of Truth. So Jesus says, and I, that's one person, will pray the Father, that's the second person mentioned, and he will give you another helper, the spirit of truth, that's the third person mentioned. That makes no sense if they're all the same person. Okay? Look down at verse 26 of John 14. But the helper, that's one person, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father, that's the second person mentioned, will send in my name, that's the third person mentioned, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Again, it makes absolutely no sense if the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are all the same person. Look at John 15 and verse 16. Uh, or actually John 15, verse 26. Jesus is speaking. He says, But when the Helper, that's the Holy Spirit, one person, but when the Helper comes, whom I, as the second person mentioned, shall send to you from the Father, that's the third person mentioned, the Spirit of Truth, he's talking about the Holy Spirit, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. I mean, this makes absolutely no sense whatsoever if you deny that the doctrine of the Trinity, that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are three separate persons. So, basically, the Bible teaches there's only one God, but this one God exists throughout all eternity as three co-equal and co-eternal persons. Okay? Mormons um, deny the Trinity because they teach that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are three separate persons. Uh, the next Mormon doctrine we need to refute 
is the doctrine of polytheism. They believe in the existence of many gods. Now let me say this about Mormons. They deny that they are polytheists. But what they do is they redefine polytheism as the worship of many gods. And they say, we only worship one god, so we're not polytheists. Polytheism means the belief in many gods. It's irrelevant how many of them you worship. So they are polytheists. They believe in the existence of many gods. Again, Bruce McConkie's work, Mormon Doctrine, the Plurality of Gods, um, he talks about uh, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as each of these persons is a God. It is evident from this standpoint alone that a plurality of gods exists. And he says, these three are the only gods we worship. So right there, he's saying that they worship three gods, not one. And they say the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are, are three gods, not one God. But then Conti says, but in addition, there is an infinite number of holy per personages drawn from worlds without number who have passed on to exaltation and are thus, thus gods. So it's really clear that uh, Mormons teach uh, there are a plurality of gods. Um, okay. Uh, Scriptures are real clear on this. First Timothy chapter two, verse five tells us there is only one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. So there's only one God. First Corinthians eight four to six tells us that there's only one God, and First Corinthians ten verses nineteen and twenty tells us there's only one God. That the, the false idols are not really gods; they're demons, is what Paul says. Uh, Exodus chapter 20 verses 1 to 6 tells us that not only is there only one God, but we are to worship this one God and worship Him alone. Isaiah 45, 5 to 7 tells us that there's only one God. Um, this idea that there are many gods goes hand in hand with the doctrine of the Mormon doctrine of eternal progression. The Mormon doctrine of eternal progression, okay, is this, and uh, as man now is, God once was, as God now is, man may become. That's a quote from Lorenzo Snow, a Mormon living prophet. He's not alive now, but he was uh, one of their living prophets, one of their latter-day prophets. And but he basically teaches that God seeks. When the Bible says, Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, that's the ultimate explanation. That explains how everything got here, including us. With the Mormons, it's the exact opposite. It's a total non-explanation. Instead of answering the ultimate question, it raises even more questions. Because before you can have the first God, he's got to be a man on a planet to attain to God. Okay? Because he's, Lorenzo Stone not only said as man now, uh, and he not only says that as God now is man may become, man may become gods, the doctrine of eternal progression, but he says as man now is, God once was. So God at one time had to be a man on the planet who attained to Godhood, which 
makes no sense. You've got to have a man and a planet before you can get your first God. So how can God explain everything else that exists? Now, by the way, I have found Mormons that kind of vacillate on this move from one side to the other. Some who would say, well, he's not really talking about God the Father. He's eternal, and it's just all other gods that had to begin as a man on the planet. But it seems to me that the more consistent Mormons even place God the Father as a man uh, on a planet who had to attain to Godhood before he could become the first God, which makes no sense whatsoever. Um, okay. Um, remember I told you about witnessing to Mormons. Uh, I mean, uh, Mormon missionaries showing up at your door. Uh, by the way, if you talk to a uh, Mormon, if you talk to a Mormon that lives next door, you have no guarantee that that, that he knows, he or she knows the hill of beans about the Mormon faith. And it's not the same like with Roman Catholicism. Uh, that's the same with evangelical Christians too a lot of times. But whatever the Roman Catholic, a lot of times they don't know what a Roman Catholic is supposed to believe because Roman Catholic theology is so complex most priests can't even make heads or tails out of it. Um, well, with Mormons, a lot of times they'll lead a guy out of a Baptist church, and so sometimes they'll withhold certain truths, what, what they believe are truths from him, until they think he's right. Okay? Example of this was a lady, she called herself Mama. She could trace her roots all the way back to the first generation Mormons. So she was about as much of a Mormon as you could possibly be, and she eventually accepted Christ came out of it. She was like a gentle grandmotherly figure probably she may have been the greatest uh, evangelist of Mormons that ever lived after she came out of Mormonism. And she wrote several books, but uh, whatever the case, she relates a a dialogue that she had with a Mormon who was pulled out of a Baptist church, a new Mormon. And she said, well, you Mormons teach that Mormon males can become gods someday. And he said, no, the Mormon church doesn't teach that. And she said, well, if you don't believe me, just go ask your Mormon bishop. But when you ask him, if he, if he denies it, just remember that he denied it. So he said, okay. So he went and he asked his Mormon bishop, and Mormon bishop said, no, we don't teach that Mormon males can become gods someday. Christians make up stories like that about us. We don't teach that. And so the guy said, fine, that's good, that's good enough for me. Seven years later, that same Mormon bishop thought that now this former Baptist was ready to hear about the doctrine of eternal progression, that Mormon males can become gods someday. So he tried to teach him that doctrine. Probably by this time, the guy's wife was probably a Mormon and she wasn't married already before he came into it. Probably had Mormon children, Mormon boss, Mormon friends, whatever. Thought the guy was ready. Seven years had passed. They started teaching him the doctrine of eternal progression that Mormon males can become gods. And it clicked immediately. This guy remembered seven years earlier what that lady mama had told him. And he remembered that when he asked the same Mormon bishop, the guy lied to his teeth and told him that we don't teach that. And he immediately 
left the Mormon Church. Now that's that's kind of like that's what ministry with the cults is all about. Uh, it's like wow, he immediately left. Isn't that great? Yeah, he immediately left when seven years later, yeah. the seed that was planted had germinated. So I mean, when you minister to the cults, be in it for the long haul, form relationships. If they're more missionaries and they'll be traveling all over the place and only going to be in the area for a year or two, uh, plant seed. Maybe that seed will germinate 10 years from now. Um, but there's an example where the Mormons will... Uh, Jehovah's Witnesses is the exact opposite. Jehovah's Witnesses are blatant. They like shock therapy. They like, they'll tell you to your face. Every, all you have to do to learn what Jehovah's Witnesses teach is have one knock on your door, just keep your mouth shut and listen. And in 10 minutes, he'll tell you every essential doctrine of, of uh, the Jehovah's Witness cult uh, come right out. With Mormons, if they, think, if they don't think you're ready for it, they'll withhold as much as they think is necessary. Okay. Example I give, i got a couple of in my church that are named the Mormons. That's the name. They're not they're Christians. But their names spelled M-O-R-M-A-N-S, okay? The names are the Mormons. Well, the Mormons had Mormon missionaries visiting them. So Scott Mormon called me up and said, I have Mormon missionaries come over tonight. Can you cut loose and swing by? I told him I might, I'll have my pastor here if he can make it. And the Mormons are all for that, you know, again. They're looking for smart people. Jehovah's Witnesses are looking for gullible people. Um, so I said, yeah, I can swing it, but it's going to be a one-time deal. I'm just too busy. I can't, you know, meet with these guys once a week uh, for the next 10 years. So uh, so I went over his house, and then we introduced ourselves. We had some small talk, you know. By the way, with the Mormons, the Holy Spirit is always going to be a seasoned pro. He could be 19 years old. But he's a seasoned pro who can sift like we, 95% of evangelical Christians. And he could be 19 years old. And then there's going to be a rookie. It could be 19, it could be 25. Uh, and, and the rookie's getting on the job training. Now, just because one guy's doing all the talking doesn't mean he's the seasoned pro. It might be his turn to start applying what he's been learning for the last six months off of the seasoned pro. Okay? Uh, now, when you raise objections, usually the season, if the rookie doesn't do too well, then the season pro will cut in and then you find out who's who's in charge. Whatever the case, it was a young man, probably about 20 years old. He was the season pro who was doing the talking. The guy getting the on-the-job training was just sitting there listening, okay? And I said, you know, I have a lot of time, young man, so this is what I want to do. Since Mormons believe that there's more sacred writings than the Bible, but we both agree that the Bible is God's word, let's agree to test everything with the Bible. And they said, fine, that sounds great. Okay, but of course they would always bring in all of it as it wasn't translated correctly here, you know, that type of thing. But he said, all right, fine, I'll agree to that. I said, since I don't have a lot of time, let's not spend much time, any time, really talking about the Mormon priesthood and me and all that kind of stuff. You know, let's just leave that stuff aside. In fact, I, mean, I try to even mention the word polygamy because that, that's one of the, there's a few there's a few ways if your dinner's getting cold and you want them out of the house, there's a few things. 
Wayne Joseph Smith, talk about polygamy, say Solomon Squally wrote the Book of Mormon. There are key phrases that you can do uh, that will kick out a Mormon and just leave immediately to be upset and leave. Uh, what you always win is all you have to do is say something intelligent to God. Okay, so just prove that you do your own thing to their God. Uh, but, uh, but with the Mormons, there are some, they do draw the line somewhere. And I gotta learn the hard way if I want to minister to them what not to say. Um, but whatever the case, uh, I asked this young Mormon male, they were both well dressed, and me and uh, the guy from my church, Scott Mormon, we were, you know, typical Christians, we were dressed like slobs you know, on that night, and they were dressed real nice and looked real sharp, real professional, and we just kind of kicked back and. Uh, so I said, well, let, all I want to talk about is how many gods there are, the person of Christ who is Jesus, and what must I do to be saved. Just those three issues. That's all I have to argue. We didn't even get to the second two. All we dealt with was how many gods there are. It took up the whole night. I said, now you Mormons teach that there are many gods and that Mormon males could become gods someday. And the guy said, no, we don't teach that. I said, so I said, uh, uh, yes, you do. He said, no, we don't. I said, son, the Latter-day Saints teach that Mormon males can become God someday. He said, no, we don't. That's a misunderstanding. We just teach that you can become God-like, that you'll be perfected when Jesus returns. Now, don't all Christians teach that? I said, yes, all Christians teach that, but that's not what the Mormons teach. The Latter-day Saints teach that Mormon males can become God someday. And he said, no, we don't teach that. I said, yes, you do. He said, no, we don't. I said, yes, you do. He said, no, we don't. So I reached into my green bag, and I pulled out Latter-day Prophets Speak by, by Daniel Ludlow. Okay? Again, published by Bookcraft, the Mormon publishing house. Okay? Now, why didn't I pull out Bruce McConkie's Mormon doctrine? Why did I even bring it to the prophet? Because he's not a prophet, okay? Now, neither is Ludlow a prophet, but that's okay. Because Ludlow didn't write this book. He edited it. Everything in this book, Latter-day Prophets Speak, is a quote taken directly from a Latter-day prophet speaking to the whole church of Mormonism, whether it was in writing or whether it was, had been spoken originally and later put into writing. So I turn here to the chapter on uh, men shall become as gods. God, but men shall become gods. Uh, page 71. And I read to him, I said, now Lorenzo Snow, he was a Mormon living prophet, correct? And he said, yes. And I said, well, Lorenzo Snow, I explained, by the way, the book, where I bought it, the Mormon bookstore in Bremerton published by Bookcraft Publishing House, and that's Latter-day Prophet speaking, and, and everything in it is from a Mormon Latter-day Prophet. And I quoted this to him. As man now is, God once was, as God now is, man may be. He said, that was Lorenzo Snow. Would you like to see it? And at this time, his face was down, his face was turning red, and he almost got teary-eyed. He said, no, that's okay. He knew it. I called his bluff. Then I said, okay, this is from Journal of Discourses, chapter 3, uh, verse 93, uh, Brigham Young. 
The Lord created you and me for the purpose of becoming gods like himself. And a little later he said, the Lord has organized mankind for the express purpose of increasing in, the, in that intelligence and truth which is with God until he's capable of creating worlds on worlds and becoming gods, even the sons of God. He says in there as well, we are created, we are born for the express purpose of growing up from the lowest state of manhood to become gods like unto our Father in heaven. That's Brigham Young and I, I told where was for our journal discourses. Uh, Joseph uh, Fielding Smith, he's not the Joseph Smith, Joseph Fielding Smith, uh, another Mormon living prophet. And they got the subtitle that uh, Ludlow puts in here, men are, men are gods in embryo, with an exclamation point. Um, but Joseph Fielding Smith in 1909 stated this, the undeveloped offspring of celestial parentage is capable by experience through ages of, of eons of evolving into a god. And, you know, the list goes on and on. Uh, but the whole chapter, uh, uh, the whole chapter just says quote after quote. And then you even have Joseph Smith Jr. himself, uh, uh, 1843. Uh, he says, Gods have an ancestry over the angels who are ministering servants resurrection some are raised to be angels others are raised to become gods and uh, um, some more blatant quotes from Brigham Young uh, you see, uh, Joseph Smith Jr. you have got to learn this was uh, he gave this speech in 1844 April 1844 uh, Joseph Smith, founder of the Mormon Church, you have got to learn how to be gods yourselves and to be kings and priests to God, the same as all gods have done before you, namely by going from one small degree to another, from a small capacity to a great one, from grace to grace, from exaltation to exaltation. So, uh, you know, after reading a few of those quotes, I then looked at this Mormon missionary and he he had his face down and his face had turned red from the chin on up. Even I noticed even his ears got bright red. He was, this guy was a redhead with red freckles and his face got almost as red as his hair. And he was looking down, he got teary eyed and uh, was really ashamed because I had brought his, his lie out. And uh, now the rookie didn't know how to handle it. He was kind of, this guy was kind of majestic in his shame, but the rookie was like, you know, leaning back and forth, swaying back and forth in his chair, and was just always going, <laughs> breathing heavy and moving his head, and it was like, you know, me and my friend Scott Moore were watching this guy close, because it was like, I don't know, I don't know he's going to start throwing down with us or what, but this guy's like, uh, uh, you know, bomb right? <laughs> but he couldn't say anything. He would just make all kinds of weird animal noises with his mouth, you know, as he was fidgeting back and forth. And you know, it was something he wasn't used to. But the, the other guy was 
looking down teary eyed and I said, now let me ask you one more time, son. Does the Mormon church teach that Mormon males can become God someday? And he was looking down at his teary eyed and he said, yes. So I said, okay, good. Now we're putting all our cards on the I could have slammed them for that. You know, I could have said, oh, you're, see, you're a liar, and blah, 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 but that's not what I wanted. I wanted to plant some seed. So I said, well, good. Now we got all our cards on the table. Let's talk about it. And at least for the rest of that evening, we had some intelligent conversation where we actually talked about how many gods uh, exist. Uh, but if you're not prepared to do something like that, um, Mormon missionaries uh, are often taught to, to, to lie about the truth, uh, what they believe is true. Um, if that's what they think they need to do. See, their goal is to get you to become a Mormon. It's the Mormon bishop's job to decide how much quote-unquote truth you're ready for at a particular time, okay? And it might be 10, 15 years. I wouldn't be surprised if there's some Mormons who have gone 60 years as a Mormon and never learned the doctrine of eternal progression. And it might be because the guy was, uh, had so much of a theological background that you never felt comfortable sharing it with him before he was a Mormon. Or, uh, it might be uh, that the guy just, you know, is such a sloppy Mormon that he will even tell the guy because he's obviously some Mormon males can uh, are going to eternally progress, but obviously he's not one of them. So you know, he's withholding from the guy. But whatever the case, um, the uh, scriptures are really clear that if you're not God through all eternity, you will never become Isaiah 43, 10. Um, there are some passages that uh, Mormons will refer to, uh, passages of scripture like John 10, verses 30 to 35. Now, Jesus just got done saying, look, I give my sheep eternal life. They're never going to perish. Nobody can snatch them out of my hand. My Father is greater than all. Nobody can snatch them out of his hand. I and the Father are one. Okay, and one is in the neuter. It's not masculine. It's not feminine. So Jesus is saying, I'm not one person with the Father, but he's saying I'm one in nature or one in power with the Father. Now, for someone to say that you that they're one in power with the Father, equal in power with the all-powerful Father, or one in nature with the all-powerful Father, that is obviously a claim to be God. So the Jews knew that Jesus was claiming to be God. Verse 31, Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, Many good works I have shown you from my Father, for which of those works do you stone me? Uh, the Jews answered him, saying, For good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy, and because you, being a man, make yourself God. So it's very clear to the Jews Jesus was claiming to be God. Listen to what Jesus said. Jesus answered them, it is, not, is it not written in your law? 
The law there means the whole Old Testament. I said you are gods. He's quoting from Psalms. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be broken. He's talking to the Pharisees and the Pharisees believed in inerrancy that the word of God is without error. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father sanctified and sent into the world you are blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God? Uh, if I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me. But if I do, though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in him. Therefore they sought again to seize him, but he escaped out of their hand. See, they still wanted to kill him. Jesus never lessened his claim to be God. Okay? What he's basically saying is, look, I'm calling myself God and you guys know it. And so now you want to pick up stones and stone me for blasphemy. But in your own word, which is without error, the Bible, the Old Testament, God calls mere men gods. Now, if God could call mere men gods, then why can't the Son of God, who was sent into the world, who is literally God, why can't he call himself God? So, number one, Jesus never lessened his claim to be God. But number two, he is pointing out the fact that the Old Testament calls mere men gods, and he refers to these men as those to whom the word of God came. Okay? Uh, we don't have time to turn here, but in Psalm 58, 1 and 2, Psalm 82, 1, 7, Psalm 90, verse 2, those are the passages that he's talking about where God calls mere men uh, gods. Now what's going on here? Does Is there only one God or are there many gods? Uh, all that God's saying there is that God is speaking to the Jewish religious leaders and he says, look, I have given you my word so you are to represent me to the people. Just like God said to Moses uh, in the book of Exodus, chapter 4, verse 16, and Exodus 7, verses 1 and 2, God told Moses, you shall be as God to Pharaoh and Pharaoh I mean, and Aaron, your brother, shall be your prophet. What he's saying is, Moses was going to represent God, was going to be symbolic of God to Pharaoh, because Moses was going to bring the word of God to Pharaoh. But Moses, since he wasn't an eloquent speaker, wasn't going to say the words, Aaron was. So Aaron was going to be like uh, Moses' prophet, and Moses was going to represent God. See, it's all symbolic language. Now, in Psalms, God is saying the same thing about the Jewish religious leaders. Since you represent, in symbolic sense, a father, symbolically speaking, that's very important, figuratively speaking, a father is God to his children. In other words, God has appointed a father to represent him to his children. So when fathers do a bad job, God gets highly upset. A pastor is supposed to represent God to his people. It's not supposed to be worshipped, but he's supposed to give the people God's truth, not his own opinion. Okay? Uh, 
So God is saying, and the psalmist is saying, God is saying through the psalmist, I have called you guys, the Jewish religious leaders, gods, because I have entrusted you with my word to represent me to the Jewish people. But when you read those psalms, what it said is, I have called you gods, but you shall die like men. It's an insult. It's not, God's not complimenting them now. And that's why Jesus quoted from that passage. Number one, he's just showing the Jews, that Jewish religious leaders, you guys don't even understand your own word. Old Testament predicts that the Messiah is going to come and he's God incarnate. And you want to stone me to death for calling myself God when I am God. Yet you don't even know what to do with passages where God calls sinful religious leaders gods. So basically God is saying, look, I, call, I have called you gods. I've symbolically given you the divine name. I called you gods because you're supposed to represent me and my truth to the people and teach the people how to get saved. But not only are you leading them astray, but you guys aren't even saved. You're going to die like men. So what we say is, I have called you gods and given you all the responsibility of representing me to the people, and you guys are still held down yourselves. Okay? By Jesus bringing that up, he was actually implying that the same thing held for the Jewish religious leaders that were talking with him. But all he's basically saying is, look, since I really am God, God the second person of the Trinity, that the Father sent into the world, since I am literally God, I have the right to call myself God. You guys are ready to stone me when I am literally God and I call myself God? What do you do with sinners, hell-bound sinners in the Old Testament that God refers to as gods? If God can figuratively refer to hell-bound sinners as gods, then doesn't the Son of God, who literally is God, have the right to call himself God? See, now when I see passages like that, I, I, I used to ask God, I used to say, God, couldn't you have made it a little bit simpler so it wouldn't take a whole lot of theological background to be able to explain that to both Christians and the cultists? Couldn't you have made it more simpler? Apparently, God's answer is no. Apparently, God's answer is that he threw stuff like this in the Word because he wants all Christians, not just Cascade Bible College students, not just pastors, not just professors. God wants all Christians to be grounded in the Word. The apostles, Jesus didn't go to the seminaries to, to uh, pick his apostles. He went to regular people, fishermen. But at the same time, these guys spent all their free time listening to the preaching of John the Baptist. 